Welcome to the Faith for My Generation podcast, where our vision is to shake and shape a generation with the power of God's Word. We're on one mission, to raise up a generation of powerful believers through the relevant teaching of God's Word. I'm so thankful that you're here today. I'm your host, AJ. Let's get into the episode. Good morning. This is your wake-up call. It's wake-up call 071 Never bow. I want to go to the book of Esther, and we're going to look not at Esther, but actually a man named Mordecai in the book of Esther. Uh, Probably most of us are familiar with the story of Esther. In fact, as I often do whenever I have the opportunity to preach and teach in a live service, I always upload it here to the Faith for My Generation podcast. So those that have been watching and listening on the podcast, you've probably already heard those messages, and I'm thankful that you listen to those. And so in the next week or two, I believe there will be a recording of a live service that I preached on Mother's Day at my church, Gospel Tabernacle Church, and I actually went through the life of Esther, and we looked specifically at how the favor of God changes someone's life how the favor of God opens unopenable doors, turns around impossible situations, and brings about the will of God regardless of the will of man. It's an amazing, amazing story, and I love the book of Esther. But today, on today's Wake Up Call here on the Faith for My Generation podcast, I want us to look at Mordecai. Mordecai was Esther's cousin. Uh, Some translations say uncle, but honestly, if you look real deep down into the Hebrew text and Aramaic text of those original languages, he was her cousin. And not just that, but we see the lineage that his dad and Esther's dad were brothers. That makes them cousins. Now, Mordecai obviously was an older man compared to Esther in age. And in fact, let's just look at a few things about Mordecai, and we're going to get through some different points and sections of Esther. In fact, probably today's episode will contain a little more reading, just verse-by-verse reading, than than most. And I don't know a better way to get across to you uh, the truth of the Word than sometimes just simply reading the passage and letting the Word of God speak for itself. Esther chapter 2, verse 5 says this, In Shushan, the citadel, there was a certain Jew whose name was Mordecai, the son of Jair, the son of Shemaiah, the son of Kish, a Benjamite. Kish had been carried away from Jerusalem with the captives who had been captured with Jeconiah, king of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried away. And Mordecai had brought up Hadassah, that is, Esther, his uncle's daughter, for she had neither father nor mother. The young woman was lovely and beautiful, and when her father and mother died, Mordecai took her as his own daughter. So we see here the relationship between Mordecai and Esther, uh, as again, it alludes just from the context of the scripture that Mordecai certainly was older than Esther, uh, very much like a father figure to Esther. And when her parents pass away, when Esther's parents pass away, Mordecai steps in to take care of Esther. Now, it's interesting, and we'll get into this, but we see that they are Benjamites. They're Benjamites. The same tribe, just keep this in the back of your mind, the same tribe that King Saul came out of, Benjamites. Now, if we go down to a few more verses in uh, chapter 2, 
starting at verse 21, it says this, In those days, while Mordecai sat within the king's gate, two of the king's eunuchs, Bigthan and Teresh, doorkeepers, became furious and sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. So the matter became known to Mordecai, who told Queen Esther. And Esther informed the king in Mordecai's name. And when an inquiry was made into the matter, it was confirmed that both were hanged on a gallow. And as it is written in the book of the Chronicles, in the presence of the king. What we have here at the end of chapter 2 in the book of Esther, Esther has already come before the king. He's been, she has been brought forth. The, the search went out. <coughs> excuse me. The search went out for a new queen to replace Queen Vashti, who was banished. Uh, because she would not come before the king and all his drunken friends and parade herself and lower her dignity. And so she was removed uh, as queen. And so the, there's a new search for a new queen. Esther is one of those ladies that's brought before the king, and the king finds favor in Esther more so than all the other women that are brought forth. Well, some time goes by. And Mordecai, it says, sat in the king's gate. We don't know exactly what Mordecai did, but it seems that Mordecai himself also worked in some way or capacity in the palace. If you watch, uh, I believe the movie's called A Night with the King. It's a, uh, it's a movie that was done about 15 years ago. It's pretty good. It's not uh, accurate by scripture by any means. It has some bits and pieces of scripture, but there's a lot of creative license. Uh, it's a it's okay movie though it's you know for, it's a clean movie it's a good movie it was fun to watch my wife and I watched it not too long ago when I was studying about Esther and I, there's actually a couple movies about Esther and that was uh, like critics rated that one the best one is just sitting down to watch so we watched I do remember that Mordecai the man that plays Mordecai is the same actor that is Indiana Jones best friend in Raiders of the Lost Ark and I'm a huge Indiana Jones fan. <laughs> I, I, I love all those movies. So anyway, I digress. But we see there in that in that movie, Mordecai is portrayed as a scribe in the king's palace. Maybe so. Who knows? But it says he sat within the king's gates, which means that he had some position, some place of occupation, uh, responsibility in the palace. And one day, Mordecai, he hears of this plot of these two doorkeepers who have decided we're going to kill the king. Now, it doesn't tell us why. It doesn't say why they wanted to kill the king. It just says that they had a plot to kill the king. Who knows? Maybe they were best friends with Vashti. Maybe they were third cousins from Vashti, and they're real, still upset that he banished her. We don't know. But they had a plot to kill the king, Mordecai hears about it, tells Queen Esther. Queen Esther then tells royal guards, whoever it is, this plot in Mordecai's name. In other words, Mordecai gave me this information, and it's written down. Keep that in mind, because in just a few minutes, we'll need to know that as well. But from both of those instances, I think it's very interesting that Mordecai treated other people really well. Mordecai was kind. Mordecai was caring. He took a young girl, Hadassah, we know her as Esther, and cared for her. 
He became a parent to this orphan girl. And he raised her up, obviously to be a woman of God, a woman that loved the Lord. Because what we'll see in just a minute, when the time came, Esther stood up to the test to to lay down her life, if need be, for the people of God and to do what was right. And the reason she did that was because of Mordecai instructing her and rearing her in the fear and admonition of the Lord. In this second instance that we just read, in chapter 2, Mordecai, he hears of this plot to come against the king, and he tells of it. You know, he could have said, hey, you know, I'm a Jew. I'm in this land called Persia. This is a Gentile king. What do I care if he dies? You know, who cares? He's not a Jew. He has nothing to do with me. I don't care. He could have just ignored it. Excuse me again. He could have just, you know, ignored it. He could have he could have joined in on the plot. But rather, he did unto others as he would want done unto him. The golden rule. Whatever you do to men, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them. Matthew seven twelve, for this is the law and the prophets. Whatever you desire to be done unto you, that's how you should treat other people. And I don't know about you, but if there was a plot, a conspiracy to take me out, I would want someone to tell me and defend me. And that's what Mordecai did. And at that point in time, he gets no reward for it. It is written down in the Chronicles of the King, but nothing's done for him. Not at that time. Well, now we go to Esther chapter 3, following this timeline of Mordecai. And let me read this to you. Esther chapter 3, this deals greatly with the life of Mordecai. It says this, After these things, King Ahasuerus promoted Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agite, and advanced him and set his seat above all the princes who were with him. And all the king's servants who were within the king's gate bowed and paid homage to Haman, for so the king had commanded concerning him. But Mordecai would not bow or pay homage. Then the king's servants who were within the king's gate, said to Mordecai, Why do you transgress the king's command? Now it happened when they spoke to him daily, he would not listen to them, that they told it to Haman to see whether Mordecai's words would stand, for Mordecai had told them that he was a Jew. When Haman saw that Mordecai did not bow or pay him homage, Haman was filled with wrath. But he he disdained to lay hands on Mordecai alone, For they had told him of the people of Mordecai. Instead, Haman sought to destroy all the Jews who were without the whole kingdom of Ahasuerus, the people of Mordecai. In the first month, which is the month of Nisan, is the twelfth year of the king Ahasuerus, they cast Pur, that is, the lot. Therefore Haman, to determine the day and the month, until it fell on the twelfth month, which is the month of Adar, Then Haman said to King Ahasuerus, There is a certain people scattered and dispersed among the people in all the provinces of your king. Their laws are different from all the other peoples. They do not keep the king's laws, for therefore it is not fitting for the king to let them remain. If it pleases the king, let a decree be written that they may be destroyed, and I'll pay ten thousand talents of silver into the hands of those who do the work. So bring it to the king's treasuries. So the king took his signet ring from his hand, gave it to Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agite, the enemy of the Jews. 
And the king said to Haman, The money and the people are given to you to do with them as seems good to you. Then the king's scribes were called on the thirteenth day of the first month, and a decree was written to all that Haman commanded, to the king's satraps, to the governors who were over each province, to the officials of all people, to every province, according to its script, and to every people in their language. In the name of King Ahasuerus, it was written and sealed with the king's signet ring. And the letters were sent by couriers into the king's provinces to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate all the Jews, both young and old, little children and women. And one day on the thirteenth day of the twelfth month, which is the month of Adar, and to plunder their possessions, a copy of the document was to be issued as law in every province, being published for all people that they should be ready for that day. The couriers went out and hastened by the king's command, and the decree was proclaimed in Shushan the citadel. So the king and Haman sat down to drink, but the city of Shushan was perplexed, confused. Mordecai refused to bow down to Haman. Mordecai would not bow down, and the scripture says, would not bow down or pay homage to him. To kneel down, to declare or show this type of worship to Haman. Haman was second in command under King Ahasuerus, and at that time, the world's largest empire, Media Persia. And Mordecai refused to bow. Now, it's interesting. Until just recently when I was studying this through to actually preach and teach on Esther, I'd always heard and assumed that Mordecai would not bow to Haman because, you know, we only bow down to God. And in fact, the Ten Commandments tells us to have no other idols, to bow down before no one else. To have no other gods before the true God, Jehovah. Lord. But there's a little bit something, there's more there to it than just that. And this is what's so great about just, you know, doing continual daily Bible study. If you go to Exodus chapter 17, in verse 8, the people of Israel, (coughs) excuse me, the people of Israel are actually in their fifth time of complaint and murmuring against the Lord. And they actually, there's 12 different instances where the people of Israel bring an accusation against God after they have been miraculously brought out of Egypt. Well, in this instance, they're thirsty. They're actually very thirsty. They've been with well, out water. And the Lord shows Moses how to give them water. And he strikes a rock and miraculously a spigot, a stream of water comes out of this rock. And these people are able to drink water and begin to rehydrate themselves. I mean, imagine they're traveling through the wilderness in the Middle East uh, area of the world. Very hot, you know, three, four million people, young, old. uh, And they've ran out of water, have no water, and it's been several days. So they're, they're very weak and famished. And there's a group of people called the Amalekites. Exodus 17 verse 8 says this, Now Amalek came and fought with Israel and Rephidim. The Amalekites became an enemy of Israel this day in Exodus 17. 
They saw Israel, this nation that had been miraculously delivered out of Egypt, which they had heard of. They had heard of the miracles of God. They saw this nation that's been going through the wilderness, traveling. Here they are. They're in a position where they're very weak. They've not drinking water, not drunk water in many days, uh, you know, several days. They're weak. They're famished. It's in the desert. Now's a great time to attack these people. And in fact, there's actually a little bit more detail on it. It says in Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 14, Moses is, or verse 17, Moses is bringing to remembrance right before the people of Israel go into the promised land about 40 years later when the Amalekites attack Israel. 40 years later or so, the people of Israel finally, that new generation is able to go into the promised land. And Moses is reminding them how to possess the land and he says, oh, by the way, remember what Amalek did to you on the way as you were coming out of Egypt, how he met you on the way and attacked your rear ranks, all the straggler, stragglers at your rear, when you were tired and weary, and he did not fear God. Therefore, it shall be when the Lord has given you rest from all your enemies all around in the land which your Lord, your God, is giving you to possess as an inheritance that you will blot out of remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. You shall not forget. Well, Exodus 17 verse 14 says this, Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this for a memorial in the book and recount it in the hearing of Joshua. That's what we just read in Deuteronomy that I will utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. Moses built an altar and called its name, The Lord is my banner, Jehovah Nissi, the God who is our victory. Verse 16, For he said, Because the Lord has sworn, the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. Well, why did I read those? Why did I bring that up? Well, Esther chapter 3, when we read about Haman, it says that he is the son of Hamadatha, the Agite, as in King Agai, as in the king of the Amalekites, that King Saul was supposed to wipe out in 1 Samuel 15. When the Lord sends Saul to go against the Amalekites and to bring judgment against this very wicked people, you understand God's merciful, He is kind, He is loving. But there are times where not just one person, but a people turn, toward, turn away from God and become enemies of God. And even though they have a time and an opportunity to repent, you know, think of Nineveh and Jonah. The Ninevites repented when they heard the word of the Lord from Jonah. And the Ninevites were Gentiles. They were not Jews. So I get tired. I get so weary of people acting like God is mean in the Old Testament. First off... God hasn't changed. He is God of Old and New Testament. Secondly, he's always been merciful. God had no obligation to the Ninevites, no covenant with them, yet he sent Jonah, his man, with a word, though Jonah went reluctantly after getting vomited out of a fish. He spent three nights and three days in his belly. <laughs> he sends a word, and those Ninevites, in their case, hear the word, and they repent and they have 150 years of life and generations that take place before Nahum brings judgment by the word of the Lord because their nation went back into their sins. 
But those people in the days of Jonah, they got God's mercy because they repented and responded to the Lord. The Amalekites didn't. We see no place. It says there specifically, and it sheds a little more light in Deuteronomy, they did not fear God. They attacked the people of God when they were weak, tired, wearied. They knocked out the stragglers at the end, those that were falling behind for lack of thirst. They hit them when they were down, and they didn't fear God. And they attacked the people of God, which means they became an enemy of God. When someone attacks you, a child of God, they're attacking the Lord. Think about it. That's what the Lord told Paul, who was at that time called Saul, on the road to Damascus. Why are you kicking against the pricks? Why do you persecute me, Saul? Well, Saul wasn't touching the Lord. He was persecuting Christians. But the Lord took that as a persecution and an attack against himself because you and I are one with Christ. By faith, we're one with the Father. That's the prayer of unity in John chapter 17 that Jesus prays. Lord, let them be one with us even as we are one with one another. And so that opens up this whole new spectrum of understanding. Mordecai refused to bow down to Haman, not just because it was like a a general law or instruction, because Mordecai refused to bow down to an enemy of God. Mordecai knew that Haman was an Amalekite. And Mordecai, a man of God, he knew that his Lord, Jehovah Nissi, The Lord, my victory. The Lord is my banner, my banner of victory, my victorious one. He wars against the Amalekites, and I will not bow down to an enemy of God. You and I, as members of the faithful, as children of God, you and I, we must never bend nor bow our knee to the enemies of God. Never, never, never. Now you might think, well, what's going to happen? Well, you know the story. Esther chapter 4, when Mordecai finds out that Haman has written this decree after he's deceived the king, King Ahasuerus, to wipe out this people. Haman didn't even tell Ahasuerus who it was. He just said, there is a people that have their own sets of laws, which they do. But then he lied and said, they don't obey the king's law, which is not true. Even the prophets in that day and age when they were in exile, when the Jewish people were in Babylonian and Persian exile, the word of the Lord through Ezekiel and Jeremiah was, go where you're at, be at peace, be prosperous in that land, for at the end of the judgment of 70 years, when that comes to pass, then you'll come back home. But while you're there in captivity, marry, have children, build houses, grow gardens. That's good instruction for you and I. Regardless of what's going on naturally in the world, trust God. Get married, have some children, build a home, and grow a garden. (laughs) Yeah, because when you and I obey the word of the Lord, it doesn't matter what's going on around us. Because we're like Abraham. We're a pilgrim passing through. We're looking for a city whose foundation is built by God. And there may be a lot of nonsense going on, but we're living as pilgrims passing through. So Haman writes this decree to kill all the Jews. Mordecai hears about it. He begins to immediately pray and fast and weep, as well as all the, all the Jews in Shushan. He speaks to Esther, and that's where we hear that most famous verse 
Esther, don't you realize that you're in the king's palace, but they won't spare you as well. They'll take you out with this if they take out the Jews. But maybe, just maybe, you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. That was the words of Mordecai, of course, moved on by the Holy Spirit. But think about that. That was the words of a righteous man loving God and loving his adopted daughter, Esther, telling her, I realize, Esther, it may cost you your life, but think about it. Maybe, just maybe, you're exactly where you're supposed to be so that you can do the will of God. Maybe, just maybe, you've been placed in the palace so that you can war against the enemies of God. And so Esther did. Esther did just that. She got favor with the king. And so what happens? Well, Esther chapter 6, the king can't sleep. So he decides to do some light reading. And he opens up those chronicle books that keep all the records of the things of the kingdom and has someone read them to him. The same books that in Esther chapter 2 has it written down where Mordecai saved the life of the king. And in Esther chapter 6, the king hears the testimony of Mordecai. And he says, wait a minute, did we ever do anything for this guy Mordecai who saved my life? And they say, no, king, you never did. So early that morning, he sees Haman out in the courtyard. He calls him in. He says, Haman, there's someone who I greatly love. Excuse me. Someone I want to really bless. Haman's getting all buttered up at this point. He thinks the king's talking about him. He said, what should we do for someone who the king really loves? And Haman says, oh, (laughs) you should put a robe on him and put a ring on him and put him on the king's horse, put a crown on his head and march him around the city and let someone, you know, parade him on horseback through the city square and proclaim, thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. And the king says, that's a great idea. I want you to do exactly everything you just said, Haman, which Haman thought was going to be done to him. I want you to do everything you just said, but do it for Mordecai. And Haman is so upset because Haman not only wants to kill Mordecai, he wants to kill every one of Mordecai's family members, the entire Jewish nation. And so Haman has to march Mordecai around on the king's horse wearing the king's robe with the king's crown or crest on that horse marching around the city square. Thus shall it be done to the man the king delights. This honor will be given to the person that the king has delight in. Well, Esther gets so upset, he runs home to his his wife and friends and he can't stand it. He's so upset. I can't believe I had to do that. It was so embarrassing. I hate this guy. He's my arch enemy, my nemesis. And here I am doing all this to him. And I wanted someone to do it to me. And they say, well, you know what? This may be a sign that you can't do what you wanted to do to Haman, to Mordecai and the Jewish people. Well, immediately, the invitation that Esther had given to Haman to receive dinner, this dinner banquet, the uh, king's palace guards come to get Haman say hey it's time for dinner just like Esther invited you so they're like all right well we'll go ahead and we'll go to dinner what happens while Esther is at this dinner she says king 
will you not spare the life of me and my people? You know, if we were going to be sold into slavery, that would be one thing. But will you not spare my life? And the king says, what are you talking about? Spare your life. And she says, this wicked Haman, your man who's second in charge, second in command, he's trying to kill me and all my people. Well, when that plot is found out, Esther lets the king know. The king gets up. He's very upset, walks out. Haman falls on his knees, begs for his life from Esther. King walks in and says, oh, wait a minute. Why are you over here near my wife trying to take advantage of her? Get him out of here. Immediately they cover his face, take him out to the gallows that Haman built for Mordecai. And he hangs, Haman hangs on the very gallows that he built for Mordecai and the Jews. Because when you war against God, God oftentimes has a way of using the very weapons that were meant to attack him and his people against the attacker, the aggressor. When someone wars against God, God turns their weapons against them. It's an amazing thing. You see it with Pharaoh and the people of Egypt, the army of Egypt, when they decide, you know what, we're not going to let the Jews go after all. And they chase down the Jews to the Red Sea. The Lord splits the Red Sea. The Israelites walk through on dry land. And the army of Egypt and the Pharaoh come through behind them. And when all the Jews are out, the Lord drops the Red Sea on the Egyptian army and wipes them out. One miracle, splitting of the Red Sea, two results, or one event, two miracles. The Red Sea split, which makes way for rescue of the Israelites, but it also becomes a weapon against the people of Egypt that are trying to attack the people of God. And any time someone tries to war against God, God will turn those weapons against them. And Haman hung on his own gallows. Now, it's amazing here in Esther chapter 8, not only that, but the king takes off the signet ring on his hand that was given to Haman. He gives it to Mordecai. And then Esther appoints Mordecai over the entire house and property of Haman. And if you go to the last chapter of the book of Esther, it's interesting because this book's named Esther. But we read as much about Mordecai. Esther chapter 10, And a king Ahasuerus imposed tribute on the land and the islands of the sea. Now all the acts of his power and his might and the account of the greatness of Mordecai to which the king advanced him, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Media and Persia? For Mordecai the Jew was second to king Ahasuerus and was great among the Jews and well received by the multitude of his brethren, seeking the good of his people and speaking peace to all his countrymen. So I want to encourage you, never bow to the enemies of God. Never bend your knee to the enemies of God because whomever sets themselves out to fight against the living God, God will turn the very weapons that they have thought they would use against us, the people of God, against themselves. God will defend his people. God will protect his people. And I want to encourage you, never, never, Never bow to the enemies of God because the God whom we serve, when he goes to battle, he always wins. When God goes to war, he always wins. And I'm thankful for you that you're listening today, watching the Faith for My Generation podcast. I pray that you have a blessed week. Remember, we never bow because 
We are the faithful. I'll see you next time. God bless you. Thanks so much for joining me for this episode of the Faith for My Generation podcast. Remember, every Monday I've got a brand new wake-up call for you. And every Thursday I've got a brand new episode right here on Faith for My Generation podcast. And remember, we are the faithful.